Shifting our attention then to the lesson this morning. The children of Israel had to learn a lot of lessons. Lessons which, many of which we need to learn as well. The experiences they had as they traveled through the wilderness coming out of Egypt, even while in Egypt, helped provide a, a landscape of us understanding something about just who the Lord is. In fact, that question is asked by Pharaoh in, in, in Exodus chapter 5. Whenever Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, My Lord said, let my people go. Pharaoh responds, Who is this Lord? I should know him. And from that, that point on, at least from the presentation to Pharaoh, it's all about showing who the Lord is. And there's some things that they needed to know about the Lord and that Pharaoh himself needed to learn about the Lord. First of all, they need to know who the Lord was. In fact, when we begin to look at the plagues, the plagues begin to challenge the polytheistic system among the Egyptians. It begins with, with the one who is the providential provider of life, the Nile. It looks at the provider of light, the sun god. And all through the system, it challenges the, the Egyptian gods until you come down finally to the protector of life himself, the embodiment of the Egyptian god, Pharaoh himself, who could not protect his own firstborn. When these plagues are finished, all Egypt is going to know, all Israel is going to know, and all the world is going to know who the Lord is. In fact, put a peg there and fast track, fast track many years in the future, whenever the two spies go into Canaan to spy out the land. And they come and they stay with Rahab. And the thing that Rahab says about their God is, all the people in the land have heard about your God and his mighty works. Repeatedly, throughout the narrative, is the story about what God did in Egypt. And following that, the exodus and the provisions that God made for them. They needed to know who the Lord was. Second of all, they needed to know they must depend upon the Lord. In fact, once again, we see the idea of depending upon the Lord. It begins at the Red Sea. Remember, Pharaoh is bearing down upon the people. And the people begin to, to cry out, are we going to die here? Did you bring us out to die here? It seems like they have no protection whatsoever. And so here you have them coming to the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army bearing down hard upon them. God provided for them. They need to know who the Lord was and that they could depend upon him. Going through the wilderness then, they begin to cry because they're hungry and because they're thirsty. And every morning they awake, they go out and there's manna on the ground. There's meat for them to eat in the evening and there's water for them to drink. God had provided abundantly for them. You think about the adversaries that they're going to face in the future. God is going to provide for, for them as they go and they, and they meet the adversaries. In fact, it's interesting when you look at the children of Israel and how God protected them. They were never assaulted. They were never attacked on the Sabbath. 
God was providing for them. God was protecting them. And but Moses had to learn that lesson too. You remember when Moses, first of all, determined that he was going to go and he was going to help free the Egyptians as a young Moses. That didn't go so well. He stepped out ahead of God. And then Moses went into exile for the next 40 years. And at age 80, God calls him back. And now, now he understands he has to depend upon the Lord. The next thing we had to learn is they had to learn something about that God is faithful. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And look beginning in verse 30. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and look beginning in verse 30. He says, when you were in distress, and all these things came upon you in latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, when the Lord your God is a merciful God, he'll not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end to the other whether any great thing like this has ever happened or anything like it has ever been heard. That's what he says in 30 and 31. He tells them, it doesn't matter how bad you mess up. I'm going to provide a way for you to turn and return. God is going to provide a way for them. So that presents the conundrum for us. If we feel like that we're not close to the Lord, as close as we used to be, the question is then, who moved? It wasn't the Lord. Because the Lord said, I will never forsake you. Furthermore, look in the book of Deuteronomy and look at chapter 31. Chapter 31. And look at verses 6 through 8. Chapter 31 and verses 6 through 8. Again, Moses writes, and of course Moses is writing Deuteronomy. This is the last book Moses will write. He's writing it from a, a rear view point of view. He's looking back, telling the children of Israel their history. And he says in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord said, He is the one who goes before you. He'll be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be dismayed. This is a section that refers back to the time in which the spies come back. And when the spies come back, they give the report about how, how great and how tall the people are, how high the walls are, and something about the land there that devours them. And God is telling them, when you go into that land, don't be dismayed. You be of good courage. In fact, in verse 23 of that same chapter, chapter 31 and verse 23, notice he says, Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. If you just thumb over to Joshua chapter 1 real quick, Joshua chapter 1, and notice the language once again. The language once again. Notice what he says beginning in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see that repeated over and over again to Moses and now to Joshua as, God is hand, as Moses is handing the baton off to Joshua to lead the children of Israel. They needed to learn something that God was faithful. I think there's something significant for us to learn in that as well. If all we understand, and it's significant to understand this, I'm not, not berating this. If all we understand is that Jesus came and died for us, and that's it, then we miss the picture. It's not that he just came and died for us. He is faithful to carry out his promises and keep his word. God is faithful, and we can depend upon him to provide what he has offered us and promised to provide. And so I think these are three significant things in the beginning that Israel had to learn. But that really leads me to the balance of what I want to talk about this morning then. And each one of these grow out of these three. These are foundational things to think about. Who the Lord was and they could depend upon him and that he is faithful. Those are important lessons for us every day of our lives. It doesn't matter where we're at in our life. Whether we're with children of Israel, children of Israel in the wilderness or whether we are here today. But when we think about how faithful God is. I want you to think with me about this. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. I just mentioned that God is faithful to keep his word. Look at Exodus chapter 2 and look at verses 24 and 25. Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The children of Israel have been in, in bondage now. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph has died. He has now increased their, their burden with them being in bondage. And they're crying out for help. And it says, verse 24, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Chapter 6 in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will not let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his, hand, uh, of his land. Verse 4 and 5. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Do you see how verse 5 sums up the thing we talked about in chapter 2 and going forward? Notice he says, I've heard your groaning, and I remembered the covenant that I made. I remember the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was that covenant? That covenant was that you would be a great many people and all nations would be blessed. But look back, look back at Genesis chapter 15 real quick. Genesis chapter 15. And notice the promise that God gave to Abraham that I think he's referring to in part here. Genesis chapter 15 verses 13 and following. No, she said, then to Abraham, no, certainly, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. Also the nations whom they serve, I will judge after you shall come out with great possessions. The children of Israel being in Egyptian bondage is all about God making the promise to Abraham that his people would be a great and mighty people but that they're going to be in bondage for 430 years. But God's not going to forget his covenant 
that he made with Abraham and that he renewed with Isaac and he also renewed with Jacob. Your people are going to go, they're going to be in bondage. Why did God plant that way? Because that's the way God planned it. But he said they're going to come out a great and awesome and mighty people. The point about it is God is faithful to keep his word. And if all we see are just rules when we read his word, we miss what the word is all about. Yes, the rules are there. Yes, they are important. They are not to be slighted in any way. But we need to understand God keeps his word and God keeps his promise. If God doesn't keep his word and God keeps his promise, then his rules mean nothing. But he keeps his word. We often say, there's nothing God cannot do. Yes, there is. God cannot lie. It is as impossible for God to lie as it is for me and you to sprout wings and fly this very moment. It is contrary to his nature and contrary to his character. God cannot lie. And God gave his word. And the Hebrew writer will tell us that he certified that with two things. He made an oath and a covenant. And making that oath and a covenant, the oath based on who he is, and the covenant that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob based on his oath and his covenant, he cannot lie. And so God promised the children of Israel. He promised Abraham something. And now then we see that renewed. And we're reminded of that in Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 6. He said, I will not forget you. Surely, over 400 years in bondage, they must have thought, well, God's forgotten us. But God had never forgotten them, and God heard their cry, and God responded to their cry. Why? Because he is faithful, and because they could depend upon him, but they had to learn to depend upon him. They had to learn who he was. The next thing I think it's important for us to recognize out of this is we need to know God knows what he's doing. It's not they just had to learn to depend upon him. We need to understand God knows what he's doing. If we don't have confidence in someone that they know what they're doing, then we're not going to put everything we need to in their hand for them to accomplish what we've asked them to accomplish. There's no use in you putting the artist brush in my hand. I can tell you I can make a painting, but I've told you innumerable times, I am not an artist. You cannot depend upon me to make a painting. Now, you put a brush in Joe's hand, and you can depend upon that because Joe is an artist, and Joe can make a painting. If you depend upon me to draw a blueprint for a building, you're understanding you're not going to be very confident because I can't draw a straight line if my life depended upon it. But if you want a blueprint to draw a building, then you ask Joe to draw a blueprint to build a building. Because Joe can do that. You have confidence in him. Well, the same thing is true with God. If we can't have confidence in God and who, in who God is, and that God knows what he's doing, God knows what he's doing, then we're not going to listen to him and we're not going to follow him. Look again the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And look beginning in verse 19. Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. But I'm sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. So this is God speaking to Moses. 
I'm sure the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Again, chapter 6 and verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out. Why is God telling Moses this? Because he wants Moses to know that when he goes into Pharaoh and he sees how Pharaoh responds, he knows that's what God told him was going to happen. Moses is not going to be surprised by it. He's not going to be taken aback by it. God's telling him, I'm telling you to go, but this is what he's going to do. He's not going to let the people go, even by my mighty hand, but I'm going to continue until finally he's going to relent and let you go. Moses, this is what Pharaoh is going to do. And so, Moses had to know God knew what he was doing. The next thing that we get in this is he has the power to do whatever he needs to do. He has the power to do whatever he needs to do. There's an old saying that said, you can't depend upon a broken stick. Well, why can't you depend upon a broken stick? Because it's broken. The strength of it is gone. You can't lean upon it. But what about God? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 again. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, and look at verse 31. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He'll not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. You can depend upon the power of God. God controls this world. Nature does not control God. God controls nature. And the very word that spoke this world into existence is the very word that continues to hold all things in place today, upon all things by the word of the power of his son who spoke things into existence. God has the power to control this world. And God's telling Israel, I have the power to keep you from being destroyed. And here's the case, Israel. Here's the thing. When you are out there and you're going to be threatened by adversaries, you're going to begin to think, and they did this, you're going to begin to think, we need to make an alliance with someone. We need to make an alliance so we can be a bigger army and someone else can protect us. And what we need to do is we need to go back to Egypt. And what he's telling them is, no, you don't need Egypt. Don't go back and make your alliance with Egypt. Egypt is not going to be powerful enough to protect you. By the way, why would they want to go right back to the place where they had been enslaved. Turn to book, put your finger in Deuteronomy and turn now to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. In Paul's benediction that he gives here in the book of Ephesians, he has spoken just previously in his second prayer in the first half of the book about being strengthened with might in the inner man. Christ dwelling our hearts, that we may know the great love of God and be filled with all of his fullness. 
And then he comes down and says this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. If we don't have the confidence that God not only knows what he's doing, but has the power to follow through with what he has promised to do, then we're not going to depend upon God to be faithful. We're not going to depend upon God to follow through. We need to first understand God is able. God is able and God is willing. And notice what he says. He takes it up three different levels. He's able to exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or think. That there's no limit to what God's power is able to do. That's what Paul is telling them here. Why when you go out the book, why when he goes to the magicians, are the magicians finally impotent to perform the plagues that Moses is performing? Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all the magicians could do. When you come to the New Testament, and you find the many miracles that Jesus does, he calms the water, he, he, he exercises the demons from, from a young man. Why is he doing that? Because he's showing he has the power over demons and power over nature. He heals people of disease. He has power over disease. He heals a sin-sick soul. He has the power to save. If we see, don't see that God has the power to do these things, then when it comes to our own salvation, how are we going to have the confidence he has the power to save us? Israel had to learn that. And we need to learn that lesson. God has the power to do what he said he would do in keeping his word. But back now to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. There's one final thing I want to bring out with this point here. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 37. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. I heard in a sermon recently someone say, the World War II generation, the people coming back home from World War II, were called the greatest generation. Tom Brokaw wrote a book on that. It's a borrowed phrase from somebody else. But he wrote a book about that. And that may well be the case, that that was the greatest generation. Who do you think was the greatest generation in the times of the Old Testament? Perhaps it was that second generation, not the first. And notice what he says again in verse 37. He says again, Therefore know this day, and consider in your heart, I'm sorry, it's verse 39, And because you loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. Because he loved their fathers, he chose their descendants after them. It wasn't the first generation, because they did not enter. Because of their faithlessness, because of their doubt, because of their unbelief, they turned back. But that second generation, they go into the lamp. But the point is this, with the first generation, what God is saying is, I want you to know, no matter how much they messed up, I loved your fathers. And because I loved your fathers, I chose the second generation. He brought them out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power. God said to us, I loved you before you were a Christian. 
He loved you. He loved me before we were Christians. While we were still his enemies, he loved us. He offered his son for us. He loved us. No matter how bad we mess up, God's not going to forsake us. And God's not going to turn his back and walk away from us because he doesn't love us. A child can mess up many, many times over. They can do a lot of things to bring shame upon a family. But there's one thing a child can never mess up strong enough to negate. A mother's love. You will have men and women sitting at Ellis Unit 1, Huntsville, Texas. That's the population. You will have men and women sitting on death row in Huntsville, Texas. Their fathers will have long time before stopped writing them. But they will forever receive until their last moment letters from their mothers. What God is saying I look at your fathers, and I want you to know, I loved your fathers. They messed up. But I did not forget them. I chose the successive generation, and they are the one that went into the promised land, and I chose them to demonstrate the mighty power that I have. Now, what is that for us today? Here's the passage as soon as I begin, you know it. For God so loved. God so loved you, and God so loved me. And Jesus says, I have a commandment from my Father. I have a commandment from my Father. What's the commandment of your fa- from your Father? My commandment from the Father is, I come down, and I offer myself as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice, I offer myself that you might have the opportunity for redemption, that my blood can purchase you from slavery and offer it as a ransom. I do that because I love you. Understand, he's telling us, it's not the nails in the hands that keep me on the cross. It's not the nails in the feet that keep me on the cross. He walked out of the midst of a crowd on more than one, more than one occasion. If he can walk out from midst of the crowd on more than one occasion, then nails aren't going to hold him to a piece of wood. He's there because he willingly gave himself to be there. Why? Because he loved us. When we see Jesus on the cross, we can know who the Lord is. We can know we can depend upon him. And we can know he's faithful because he followed through in his promise. We know he will keep his word. And we know that we know what he is doing. And we know he has the power to do what he has promised. And we know that he loves us even as he loved our fathers. One final thing as I bring this to a close. I want you to back up in a previous reading. Verse 32. For ask concerning the days that are past, which before you, since the day that God created man on earth and asked from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has ever happened or anything like it has ever been heard before. Moses is telling them 
you look back, has anything like this ever happened before? When he's talking to the children of Israel about their deliverance, about how God provided for them, and God protected them, and God loved them, and God demonstrated his power to deliver them. Has anything like that ever happened before? And the answer is no. Look back through history. Has there ever been another occasion in all of history in which one man bore the sins of all as a sacrifice for their redemption? There have been men hung on a cross. The Appian Way was said to have been lit, lit with men on the cross as the Romans had, had crucified them and then lit them as human torches. They'd seen crucifixion. But not one of those men who had been crucified by Rome had ever been crucified because they were doing it willingly to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. They were there because of their crimes. Jesus is there as the innocent one. He is there as the just one for the unjust and for the guilty. I think a valuable lesson we need to understand who the Lord is. And when we understand who the Lord is, that will impact our life. That will impact the word when we go to it. And that will impact our everyday encounter with people. Because we understand God has the power to follow through. The love to follow through. We can depend upon him. And we look at all that he does in this world. And that tells us who the Lord is. Thank you so much for listening this morning. We're going to have a word of prayer. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.